Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. Hi, hello. Um, my name is Alex, and I just want to say a really, really big thank you to all of you coming out because it's super hot. So now I'm going to see if I can get our panelists to come on down. Everybody give it up for Tom. For Tangy, I will get you a wine. <laughs> and Charlie. So if you guys want to sit up here, so um, the way this evening is going to work is we're going to try, obviously time is like a concept, but we'll try and keep it to 45 minutes roughly. Uh, what we have in the Look Mum No Hands cat, cycling cap, is a bunch of questions. And the way it's going to work is they are just going to pull a question out of the hat and then just answer them uh, one by one and we'll kind of go that way and we'll do it like that. And then once they've answered all the questions in the hat, I have this radio mic and I'll... and you can ask your own questions. And before we start, Tom has a book and it is available for sale and it's 11.99. So please go buy one of these when you're done. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, my name's Tom, as Alex said. Uh, in 2015, which was four years ago, I became the youngest person to cycle around the world. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't deliberate. <laughs> so, I was 19 at the time, and obviously that was a little while ago now, and this year, both of these guys have basically done better than me. So, that's, that's me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. Hi, I'm Vadangi. I recently cycled around the world too to become the youngest woman to do it. So I started in July 2018 and finished in December 2018 and did 18,000 miles along the way. And by the way, I was inspired by Tom's ride. I was following it and that's where I got the idea from. Hello, I'm Charlie. Um, Yeah, as you said, Tom sort of starts all this. (laughs) It's quite a funny old one. I set off and I said, 6th of July, uh, 2018, and got back March sometime, 2019. Uh, it's cracking, actually. Yeah. Good enough, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm right in saying all three of us did 18,000 miles, yeah. there or thereabouts. Um, I went through 21 different countries, I want to say. I think it was a little while ago for me now. I think it was. But we all had... wrote a book about it. Oh, yeah, I wrote a book. So I don't need to remember anymore. It's all in there. Um, <laughs> But I think, I don't know how, maybe we can talk about our routes to start with, because I don't know how similar okay, ours yeah. actually were. 
Um, but mine was London to Istanbul for the start, so through Europe in winter. And I followed the Adriatic coast, so kind of the south side of it. Um, then I flew over the Middle East for certain reasons uh, to India and rode both coasts, um, so down and up um, from Mumbai to Kolkata. Then Southeast Asia was Myanmar, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. Um, the whole south coast of Australia from Perth all the way up to Brisbane. Sorry. Um, both islands in New Zealand. And then in America, I did San Francisco to Boston via Canada. Um, and then the final leg was Lisbon to London, which I think is fairly common. But, um, yeah, that was mine. Cool. That was good. Well, um, in my case, I made a very wrong decision right at the start and decided to start and finish in Australia. So it was in Perth, and it was in July, Australian winter. Uh, so I did from Perth to Brisbane, following the southern coast of Australia, and flew to Wellington, which was my first antipodal point, and went from Wellington to Auckland. And then I flew from Auckland to Vancouver and did some like crazy 10 and a half or 11,000 uh, kilometers across Canada up until Halifax. And then from there I flew to Lisbon. No, no, sorry, that's not what I did. From Halifax, I went to Iceland, which was not quite planned, but it was like a last minute thing. I had to go to Halifax, um, Iceland, that's what I did. Um, it didn't quite go to plan, so I didn't really cycle across Iceland. The weather was really bad, so I ended up flying to Lisbon and went Portugal, Spain, France, Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, uh, Russia, and then in the middle of Russia, not quite middle, but towards the end of the European side of Russia, which is in Ufa, I flew from there to um, Delhi. And from Ahmedabad, then, I started and went till Kolkata, which was my Indian leg, and flew back to Australia to finish it off. Great. Awesome. Um, I had a very similar route to Tom, I think. I, we sort of varied a bit in India. I went into Ahmedabad and then up to, towards Nepal, basically. Uh, got into Pokhara, which is pretty cool. And I go from there. Uh, Cross then down Southeast Asia again. Uh, I did, I think, backwards around Australia. So I flew into Cairns. And so these guys, I think, did west to east, which is what I should have done, but didn't. Uh, went round the east coast, uh, down towards Adelaide. Was meant to go to Perth, got turned away. The cops weren't very happy. Um, and then, yeah, over New Zealand, across uh, America, San Fran down to LA, and then a uh, big zigzag all over the place, depending on weather, heights, um, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, back into Europe, into Madrid and home. Cool. So, I, I mean, I have a, one glaring question off the back of that. Why did you start in Australia? So uh, when I was planning the route, I considered starting in Nice, which is in the south of France, just because it would be a bit sunnier. But it's still quite close. Um, I don't know <laughs> why you'd fly all the way around the world and then end up back there and have to fly back. <laughs> I have one word for that, <laughs> accidentally. Okay, not quite. I had researched that when it's uh, summer in the Europe, it would be winter in Australia. So that's what I was aiming for. I wanted it to be winter in Australia. That's what I wanted to start with. And because of some visa issues in terms of starting from Europe, I need a Schengen visa. So I hold an Indian passport and I needed a visa in every country that I went to, which meant that my Schengen visa hadn't 
expired yet and I couldn't apply for a new one before it had expired which meant that I couldn't start in Europe or in the UK for that matter fair enough <laughs> so, pretty good excuse <laughs> <laughs> um, do we want to start with the questions yeah go for it yeah cool um, oh my god right how did you come up with the idea of cycling around the world Tom uh, <laughs> thanks mate um, it was a little while ago for me now I was 17 and I was actually in school in a kind of assembly hall and like everyone else there I was bored out of my fucking mind um, am I allowed to swear here? <laughs> I won't do it again <laughs> um, I was bored out of my mind and um, I don't know my mind was wandering and I think I was um, at the time planning I was always planning a year off before uni and I was thinking of taking my bike to certain places around the world and thinking of ways to try and join up the dots was a bit of a logistical nightmare so I kind of just arrived at the conclusion of joining them up with a bike and it evolved into going around the world from there um, and once I thought of the idea I couldn't really get it out of my head so that, that's, that's where mine came from um, yeah okay can I just cut it short and just be like, Tom came up with the idea, I just followed it. <laughs> um, I, how did I come up with the idea? I think I was, I was already um, cycling a bit when I came up with the actual thought of cycling around the world. So when I was 17, I cycled across the Himalayas and I really loved it. I was alone and, okay, my parents were there like within 30 kilometers radius because um, that was kind of the rule, the family rule. But essentially, there was no one around me and I loved it. And I was able to climb the mountains, go down them, and I was, because I was able to do it, I thought that I should do it. So when I came to the UK, I did a few really long rides, including London, Edinburgh, London, where I basically uh, broke my knee and had to kind of fix it by myself, and I was disqualified and stuff, and then... I still ended up finishing what I had started. And when I was back in London, I thought that, shit, like, I'm, I'm able to do this. Like, I'm liking to ride very long distances. I'm not getting bored very easily. I am able to think or do or say or sing whatever the hell I want when I'm on the bike. So I thought I might as well see the world whilst I do it. So I suppose that's how I came up with the idea. And I'll, I all, obviously I had followed Tom's ride and back then I had thought that maybe like one day I, I would do something as such but don't know when. So um, yeah, I thought when the time was right, that's what I did. Thank you, yeah. Um. <laughs> I know, I was sort of last year of A-levels, uh, May time-ish, and I decided I need to get away on a big summer adventure. And so I was looking at maybe getting a van, going around Europe. Uh, I was a big climber back then, so I was going to climb around Europe. I discovered vans are very expensive, uh, especially if you just got your license. So uh, they turned into a bike, I got 10,000k around Europe. Absolutely awesome, going to smash it, have a good time. Um, and then I was at the pub one night, which was a surprise. Uh, and yeah, I got chatting. I said to some mates, yeah, I'm going to go around the world. That's it. And eventually I sort of just chatted a lot of shit, um, chatted to more and more mates. And then, yeah, saw Tom's ride. Uh, I wasn't following it as it went, but sort of saw it afterwards. And uh, yeah, it all went from there. I got my bike, yeah, two weeks before I left and headed off. Pretty handy. 
pretty up on tune. That sounds good. Um, but Dangi, you said, like, I mean, I have trouble fixing a spoke. You said you broke your knee and fixed it yourself. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of semi or fully, whatever. I dislocated it-ish. And I, I, I had, I think, 10 miles to go until the next control point. So I had to do something before that. So I googled how to pop my knee back in place. And I like hobbled to the next control. I tried to ride, couldn't ride, then got off the bike. So I did whatever I could. And yeah. Craig, was that your worst one? Sorry? W- worst injury? Um, was it that or? No, no, no. I have got worst. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, my head injury already. was the worst. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I broke, not broke my head, but I got concussed, and I think that was my worst injury. Hey, Tom? Uh, oh God, you can't ask me after that. Um, <laughs> I had some tendonitis. Um, <laughs> it was recurring, and it really hurt, but, I mean, nothing like that. Um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll move on. We can go back. I've heard Badangi's head injury story before. There's quite a lot behind that. So maybe we can get into that later if we have time. Yeah. But I think there is a question which could answer that. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> we can move on for now. <laughs> Next question then. Most extreme weather conditions. Oh, cracky. Um, I think every country probably had ups and downs. I don't know what you guys had, but um, say Australia, it went from being 40 degrees, 45 degrees to like outside Melbourne. I had some, I don't think it was a hurricane. I don't know what they class it as. But yeah, uh, 80 mile an hour winds coming down some like motorway. And so that's classic. Yeah, no, it's like knocking trucks over. Um, that was good fun. Were you still riding? Yeah. No. Um, so, so the bike was sort of leaning over, and I—it was the smallest gear I had, and I couldn't push against the wind. Uh, it was the weirdest feeling. And so I sort of pulled in, got against this uh, like a flagstone store, and decided to try and take shelter. Uh, there was like lightning and thunder and stuff. And in Asia, it's like there's a rain across Asia. Uh, hit the rainy season. I don't know what you guys did, but yeah. Great was, decision. It was wacky. <laughs> Um, I think I had the worst weather con- um, yeah it was Russia yeah I, I hit Russia in winter and I, I was yet to get my Russian visa uh, actually I had got it once and it had expired so I had to get it again and every day which passed the temperature got lower and lower so when I was actually cycling across Russia um, including the wind chill factors and stuff. It was like minus 6 to, I think the lowest went to like minus 20 somewhere. So, yeah, I think that was like the worst weather I got. But it was even worse when I flew from minus 18-ish to plus 33 in India. Like 33 is usually like not that much. You do like sunbathes and stuff and that. But for me, it was like proper heat wave at the time. Yeah, once again, I'm going to struggle to follow them. Um, my, I started in winter in Europe, and that was... I mean, my lowest was minus eight, so not quite anything on that. But it was snow or rain most days for, like, three weeks, which really sucked. Um, and then I had exactly what you just experienced. I flew from Istanbul to Kolkata, and there was, like, a 40-degree temperature change, which really screwed me up. Um, you know, it was only, like, lying on the floor at the top of the hill for an hour or so, just kind of, like, pouring water on myself. It wasn't too bad. Um, the heat um, really got me in Burma, where it was mid-40s. And I don't really know what happened but um, into or why it happened, but it just got to me way worse than any other time. And 
I don't really remember the last hour of that day. Um, I know I ended up on a bench in like a petrol station and had some locals come over to me, like feeding me water. Um, they came, they first came over with bottles, um, but then they realised I couldn't actually open them myself and had to do it for me, which was fun. Like it's it's kind of weird to think about because I, I then just like 20 minutes later I carried on cycling, um, and like these guys pretty much like I wasn't going to die obviously I'm not going to get that dramatic but I could have been like a bit messed up and these guys like really helped me out and I've no idea what they look like or who they are they didn't even speak my language so I don't know I think that's pretty cool looking back but yeah talking about language actually which place was worst for like I found most places speak English now Uh, it's pretty easy to travel but then you get the occasional place where did you find sort of Uh, for me the worst one was Portugal but because which is strange so I'd been through India and Southeast Asia and I'd got used to not being able to speak the language and got used to miming but then I spent three months going through Australia New Zealand America and I got so used to kind of being able to speak English so I got to Portugal set off on my bike and was kind of like oh what happens now I can't speak to anyone Um, so that really messed me up I mean in terms of actually finding people who spoke English I think Burma or now Myanmar was the worst there was I think it's probably the least developed country I went through. Um, And that, yeah, that showed. I mean, India, there are so many people, like at least one of them is going to speak a little bit, depending on where you are, kind (laughs) of. You're in the city. (laughs) But like you go there somewhere, or for me, I found like when I was away for a long time, you get very good at miming and people generally understand. So it was never too much of an issue until, yeah, I got really comfortable and then that was taken away. But what about you? Um, I think for me, Portugal, uh, it, it started with Portugal when I didn't understand the language because before that it was all English-speaking countries. But it was in Spain that I had a real problem because I couldn't remember where I was and I didn't know what language the other person was speaking when that was happening. So that person had to actually... like He didn't have a phone or Google Translate or anything. So... Like it was, it was really hard figuring out where I was or what I was doing at that particular place when I was in Spain. But in Russia, I, like by the time I was in Russia, I could kind of guess what people were saying by the way they were nodding their head or you know the way they were looking at me. I could just kind of guess that okay, they're probably saying something nice or you know they're probably asking me to fuck off, sort of thing. Yeah, very presumptuous. I don't know that one. <laughs> I think it's a good job we speak English, to be honest. It's pretty handy. You're pretty lucky. I know there's a French guy who did it. Um, I don't know his name. But um, he was older than us. I haven't spoken to him, but I've no idea how he got... Max. It wasn't Max. No, I don't know. But um, if I didn't speak English, I wouldn't have had a clue. I don't know what what I would have done. So, yeah, yay England. (laughs) That's good. Well, let's move on to the next question. Um... How did you find adjusting to normal life after you had finished? We're going to start with you. Well, that was my question. So, you think you want to start with me? All right. Uh, um, <laughs> well, um, I found it really hard, but I think this question really is like, you should ask my friends. They had a hard time adjusting with me when I was back. It was, it was strange. It was... It was very difficult because life on the bike is so simple. Like, you get up every morning, you ride whatever 100 kilometers or miles, 
you, you, you stop at gas stations to eat your food. You eat whatever you get. Uh, you drink, you know, wherever, whatever you find from. And you basically find a place to camp and go to sleep. And that was it. And, and when, once you were back home, it was, it was suddenly like there's so many people and you're suddenly not alone on the road. You're not going anywhere and you're not meeting new people every day. And, and suddenly kind of the excitement was gone and it was really hard for me until I realized that I have people that I really love around. So that's, that's actually like a good side of things. So, yeah, <laughs> I suppose it was hard. That's the point. Yeah, I think so. Um, if we continue on that same one, I think actually the entire way you have really hard bits. Um, you have bits where you're thinking, oh, I'm broken here and so on and so forth. But it was coming home that... That one? Oh, lovely. <laughs> it was coming home that I realised, oh, bollocks, I'm done now. I've got nothing else to do. Um, I took the bags off the bike for the very last time. And I, you know, I've done that every single day for however long. And it was sort of natural and uh, cursing them because they're a pain, they're not panniers. But... Um, no, that broke me, actually. That very last bit. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I asked that question because both of you asked me something similar when you finished. You messaged me on Instagram, and we met in London. Yeah. And Vidangi asked me something similar, and I didn't really give you an answer at the time. You just said that you just put it at the back of your mind that you had ever done something as such and moved on with life. And yeah. I found it so difficult. Yeah, because you were saying you found yeah. it tricky, and I... Uh, you put me on the spot I hadn't really had time to think about it and I mean that was essentially true I just moved on I went on holiday with my mates um, I went to the Alps cycling but on a lightweight bike which was completely different and I love that you know that was my cycling background um, so it was nice to kind of go back to normality um, and yeah the truth is I did just move on I completely put it behind me and I don't necessarily think that's a good idea if you leave it there forever but I'm going to get a plug in. Writing this book, um, that was when I kind of properly digested the experience. So I didn't really return. I just, as I said, left it behind and only properly kind of came to grips with what I'd done and had that oh shit moment like three years later. So yeah, that's my answer to be. I didn't deal with it. I just left it. Um, I'm good at suppressing things. No, I was going to say, it's, it's quite funny. Like, you always come back and. I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was a bit of a null event. I'm home now, you just get on. And then you come here, and we've got people inviting us to come and talk. And it's like, oh, what the hell is this about? Uh, not used to this at all. Yeah, it's, I've turned down a lot of speaking occasions. Yeah. <laughs> people make a, a thing out of something which was just my gap here. And it's very interesting to see, yeah, it's a different way of doing things. Cool. I think I just threw myself in many more projects so that I wouldn't get time to think about the world tour, but... That story for another day. Let's move on to the next question. Um, what's the furthest you rode in one go? I'm going to take this one because I know mine was probably the shortest. <laughs> I, uh, I was 150 miles, 240k. So, yeah, look at them, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> that was my largest single day. Um, but I, I'm just going to stand by my guns. You know, consistency is key. Um, I had my <laughs> my 100 mile a day target and I stuck pretty closely to that um, but yeah you, now you can go <laughs> okay do you want to go next? Um, I think my biggest I had 318 k's oh, so I guess I had over 200 miles I was getting to Kuala Lumpur and it was meant to be a two day ride but it was hilly and miserable and raining I was balls to this because I had some friends over in Kuala Lumpur I was like I'm just getting to them can have a shower so yeah 
That's amazing. Well, you're gonna smash this, aren't you? <laughs> um, I think mine was okay. I know that mine was 531 kilometers in 24 hours, and I didn't know I had done that much. I thought it should it should have been close to like 480 or something, but I. There was this guy who was in the film crew before for the first half of Australia, and I reached his house. He was going to host me for the night. I reached his house. I looked down at my Garmin, and it said like 531.00, and it take and and it said like 23.59, and I just was like, "What? That's crazy!" I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know I had done that, but. Yeah, that was my largest. I was I was dead after that. Let me just tell you that I slept for like ten hours after that, probably, and I ate ridiculous amount of food. Also, yeah. The funny thing is, you only slept for ten hours. I, I'll do that after a night out <laughs> quite easily. <laughs> no, I had to cycle next day, so I kind of had to. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, fair play. I no. <laughs> got nothing to say to that. How much um, were you sleeping? Vectangi did it a lot quicker than certainly I did. I'm not going to speak for Charlie. Uh, not, uh, not um, but how much were you guys sleeping a night? I was very miserable if I got less than six hours, hmm. and I kind of made a point of trying to get that. Okay. But no, I, I, so I, um, yeah, I, I sort of forced it. Um, I think the best example was say Asia. I would um, go to sleep by like, eight o'clock and wake up at four. And so I'd always have my eight hours sleep and you'd smash out all your riding before lunch and then, yeah, you get used to it. But now I try and get like, over six hours at least. My geez, you can't do it. Oh, I meant on the trip, not like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, lots of food. Yeah. That's okay, sleep and food. Um, I think, okay. I was trying to get five hours each night but this is something that I'm really bad at. If I know that I'm not doing good at something, then I try as hard as I can until I am almost able to reach my goal. So I pushed it beyond what I ever thought I could. So there were times when I slept like for three hours or something. But most of the times I tried to sleep for five hours or six hours or something. Because also, like, when you're camping outside, it's easy to wake up. Like, you don't need that much sleep. Whatever sleep you get, it's, like, good. It's not very easy to get out of the tent, though, is it? <laughs> I didn't have a tent. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I learned very quickly is you are, like, the most badass person in this entire room. And you've thrashed all of us. You've gone the furthest, the shortest sleep, the least food. Yeah, fair enough. Um. <laughs> it's a good thing I got my book out first. <laughs> What's that book called? Oh, yeah, it's right here. Emu Rec- Racing and Record Chasing. Is it good? I think so. Yeah, I've read it. I, I think so, too. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be on sale after this. <laughs> um, what kept you going through the toughest moments? Uh, stubbornness, I think. Oh, my mate is pointing to himself. Um, he's, very, he's the pretty one at the back. <laughs> Uh, I think just stubbornness. You know, there were I've, there was a lots of points where I really didn't want to be doing what I was doing. Um, and I can safely say now it was all 100% worth it. But yeah, there were days where I really hated the choices I'd made, um, and it was just more just not allowing myself that option to quit or or have a day off rather, um, and just 
yeah, I don't, I don't know what kept me going. I think it was just being a stubborn teenager. <laughs> like, well, I'm either going to sit here in the middle of nowhere and do nothing, or I'm going to pedal. So, nah, might as well like, pedal. Like America's, so, you know, America's massive, and you'll get in the middle of nowhere, you'll figure, no, nah, I'm done with this. But you're still, <laughs> what, 50, 100 miles from anywhere. <laughs> so, you haven't got a choice. It's quite a funny one. Yeah. That's really cool. Well... For me, I think it was, it was definitely my friends. Um, I, I certainly know that there are two people in this room who have played a major role in getting me to the finish line because um, <laughs> there were times when I, I didn't believe in myself enough to be able to push through. And I had, like, I, I used to call up a friend just randomly and my mates used to answer and I just, I just heard that they believed in me more than I did in myself. And there was, they just knew what to say and when to say that certain thing. And I think it was just talking to my friends whilst I was riding the bike at certain key periods when I knew that I was at the end of it. Yeah, it, it really helped. And I think they were the ones who really pushed me. And of course, my dad. Like I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah, I should friends. definitely give a shout out to my parents. They've just left, but they <laughs> <laughs> they did support me a lot. My sister's putting her hand up. Hey, <laughs> should have picked that question um, before. De- my family definitely got me through. I think um, talking to my friends, though, I kind of I don't know if they'd agree with this, but would just talk about normal stuff, um, which I think did help. You know, just having it as a distraction. But I never I never relied on my mates to kind of. Yeah, push me through, which I think, I don't know whether... I'm sure they would have done had I needed them to. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, I I just talked about normal stuff, and I think it was that being able to kind of go back to reality and kind of take take a check in your head, that that helped. It's really weird listening to you two, because I... It's sort of... There's other three, and there's loads of people doing it now, which is awesome, but it's nice hearing that there's other people having the same thing. And it's very much it's the normal way to do it because I've got no idea. But it's the same thing. I chat to mum and they just chat about like the dogs and I don't know the food. I'm in lasagna tonight. Great. Yeah, I wish I had that. But um, nah, it's just lovely to hear normal things and it's lovely to hear that like other people have done the same thing as me. Um, yeah. Nah, yeah, you're weird. not insane. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's an interesting one. What did you eat and where did you sleep along the way? <laughs> so much rubbish. Um, I, I mean, I'd never made a point of keeping track of calories. I just ate as much as I could, like, all the time, which sounds great. And it is sometimes, depending on where you were. Um, I mean, whenever someone asks me that, I just think back to America, which was just horrible. Honestly, it was awful. I was, by the end, I was craving vegetables, like, genuinely. Um, it was all, like, crappy burgers and... During the day, it was just sugar, like Twinkies and things like that. Uh, I, I can I was, go back to that, to be honest. I was quite happy. <laughs> oh, it, it, oh, I hated it. And um, Australia was chocolate bars. I went through phases. Um, like Australia was chocolate bars. Thailand was like 7-Elevens. They did these mini croissants with like ham and cheese in, which are amazing. And they're, they're still good. Like I'd have them sober and not fatigued. But the other stuff... Oh, okay. like Lots of pies in Australia. <laughs> pies all day. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, where did you sleep? Uh, mostly like hostels and stuff. I had a tent, but I mean, you didn't even have a tent and you slept outside. But um, I had a tent, but I didn't use it that much. Um, 
I came up with excuses that I believed and stuck to, so that was, that was good. Uh, no, Europe in winter to start with, um, I didn't, it was too cold for me to camp, I was a bit of a pussy, but I, w- I wasn't going to do that. Um, and then I got to India and Southeast Asia, and locals told me, for safety reasons, not to camp. And I was like, well, that sounds great, I'll definitely not do that. Um, and then by the time I got to Australia, I kind of just had a habit of <laughs> finding places to stay. So I did have a tent that I used a handful of times. Um, but it was... I, I hated my tent. Um, I tried to f- find a balance between comfort and lightweight and in the end got the worst of both worlds. It wasn't that light, but I still couldn't sit up in it. So it was, it was just terrible. I would have like either ditched it altogether or taken one that I could sit up in because I didn't want to spend any time in it. What about you? I was going to say, Asia is cheap. It's great. Um, Yeah, it's hostels away in Asia. Europe, I did a bit more camping, but still, um, if it's raining, bolster that. I'm I'm getting a hostel somewhere. It was off-season, and it's cheap, and why the hell not? Um, America and Australia, in fact, everywhere, I had loads of people helping. I think you guys used warm showers? Did you? I had the app. I didn't actually use it. (laughs) Okay. So there's an app, I don't know if people know about it, but called Warm Showers. And it's a big hosting app. It's like couch surfing, but only for bikes. And that is the absolute saviour. It's just random people on there, and it hosts uh, bicycle, bikers. And you come along, text them, help you out. And that was the absolute joy. You meet so many people. I think that's maybe a big part of this trip. It's meeting people, it's eating food, it's doing everything but cycling, maybe. Because cycling is lovely at the end of the day. But if you just keep on going, that's... Nah, it's crap. Um, it's everything else but the biking, I think... They did it, maybe. Yeah. Okay. i really cynical. No, no, I'd agree with that, and I, I don't think I did the same thing, but I totally get it. Um, okay. I, I was really grumpy when I was riding, and I'd kind of stick to myself unless someone went out of their way to be nice to me. And when they did, it was always amazingly appreciated, and it was you know the memories that I really look back on with fondness. But to my, for the, a lot of it, I really stuck to myself just because I had a really narrow mindset. Um, which I'm very glad I did at the time. But if I was going to go around again, I'm definitely not doing that. But if I was going to go around again, I would change certain things like those aspects, I think. Okay. I think I mostly ate from gas stations because I, I found that they were like, yeah, I stored food, which was there in the gas stations. And it used to be anything ranging from, I don't know, beef jerkies to... Um, yeah, big packets of crisps, I would suppose, and, and, and grapes, and um, <clears throat> subways, and I don't know, like McDonald's, and, 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 and like, it was just really crap food that I just picked up from anywhere. Anything that was cheap and available was my go-to. And um, in terms of sleeping, I, I suppose... Um, well, when I because I had like a sleeping mat, a bivy bag, and a sleeping bag from Alpkit, so most of the places I I, I used that. But um, when I had the guys filming me, like in the Rockies or in the first half of Australia or between Madrid and Paris, yeah, that's where um, I when I was booking accommodation for them, I kind of was like, ugh, I. Do I, do I really want to sleep out when someone, like, when, when, when my mate is sleeping in, do I really want to sleep out on the road in a bus station? So, um, 
That was particularly when I actually made an effort to, uh, you know, find a hostel or something cheap, anything cheap. Um, the worst part was that after even like camping across most of like Europe, like next part of Europe and Russia, even in winter and the really bad conditions, when I reached India, like you said that in Asia, like staying in motels and hotels is really cheap. I found that it was really hard for me to let go of the fact that they are not going to let my bike inside the room. In, in India, they did not I, allow I that. You just tell them. I, I don't I know. T- I, no, like, I don't know what advantage you've got then, because Maybe. I tried to tell them and it didn't work, and I was like... The key is to massively overpay and to uh, get told, oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's this much <laughs> of the room, get screwed over, <laughs> it's fine. One, one pound is like 85 to 90 rupees, and... I at the time I used to earn in rupees or my money was in rupees so I I am Indian so it was kind of like paying overpaying anybody was like not a factor for me so um I suppose yeah like I I didn't like staying in the hotels or anything in India I I really wish I could make my own decisions just find like an enclosed place or I in in fact when I was writing I could see like these big pipelines and I was like you know what? I could sleep in that and it would be so comfortable. I've done it a million times before. I can do it again. And I I couldn't do that because, um, yeah, it wasn't safe apparently. (laughs) I was glad the overpaying wasn't on purpose. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that did me. But yeah, I suppose that was my sleeping and eating. Well, I'm with Charlie on this one. I kept my bike in my room like pretty much every night, maybe bar two. And both of those times, I made sure it was in a locked room. And either I had the key or like the guys seemed trustworthy. Yeah. But, um, I, I think um, maybe it goes back to the overpaying thing because I was terrible at haggling. Um, <laughs> I didn't do it, and you know, being a local, you probably got a one up on me there. But I was awful. So no, I think no, it's no, it's one down, not one up. Oh, but well, you didn't overpay. Is my point? No, I didn't overpay, but then they didn't let me keep my bike in the room either. Yeah, fair. but you didn't have yours stolen like someone did. So I um, only found out about Charlie because he made big headlines on BBC News when his bike was stolen in Australia. Yeah. Right. I don't know the story, so I'm intrigued. So okay, I bought a lock in France. Didn't use it at all. Um, Woke up. I was camping in Australia previous night. uh, Woke up with a snake on my feet, which I wasn't very happy about. Decided I wanted a shower, so booked into this lovely hostel, had a bar on top and a pool and all sorts. Um, locked up in this car park, I thought, yeah, it's great, it's all seals. And it was one night I didn't have the bike in the room, and yeah, went. Um, I was in this place called Townsville, don't know if anyone knows it, but apparently they've got one of the largest um, crack populations in the world. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so I was stuck there for a week, uh, but I met koalas and police people <laughs> and did lots of radio and TV um, and some Germans. Yeah, lots of Germans. So someone had cut the lock, I'm assuming? Or like... Yeah, the whole thing went. Um, they left nothing. So I, I actually washed my kit the previous night, which is quite a rare occurrence. And I'd, um, I left it to dry over the bike. I thought I was doing really well. Things organising, I have some tea. And I woke up nice and early the next day to get it going. And uh, yeah, none of it was there. Like, my socks, uh, it was me gone off balsamic vinegar was the closest smell it wasn't good 
and someone managed to nickel that kit. I, I was I was impressed almost. I was very upset, but very impressed. Like you're not going to touch that kit. It's stank. It's minging. Did um, Cervelo sort you out with a bike afterwards? Or? He did indeed. You're great at this. You're amazing. Yeah, um, they did. They came along, sponsored me. They gave me a new bike, which is awesome. Um, I, I did those of TV and news and stuff. So sort of helped it raise the profile. I went through about uh, 300 Instagram followers to 1,600 or something. So it's still a massive number, of course. But um, it boosted me enough. And so all the companies I was using before, I had Apidura, uh, was it Cervelo and Nicole? And they all came back and helped me out. It's pretty cool. I think I should have thought of something similar. Got someone yeah. to like. yeah, the, the bike's actually back in Bristol, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, when uh, when it happened, I had uh, quite a lot of people because um, it was all over BBC. I had a lot of people asking me if it was me that had stolen it. <laughs> so they heard about this guy trying to break my record. <laughs> it wasn't. I should stress that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I didn't have anything stolen except my money. Uh, we'll get to that though. Apparently, the next question is best and worst, uh, worst memory. Best and worst. Um, Did you just say your worst memory? Was it? Oh no. That, it, no? The thing is, it wasn't bad. Okay, um, that's it, good. It was very bad at the time, but there was a big silver lining to it. And so, worst one, I went um, sadly Serbia. I had four days in Serbia, and every single day it went tits up. Um, I went through a car window, I had a gun pulled on me, um, like dogs and crap. Oh, I wasn't great. Um, so that's probably the worst, sadly. I want to go back maybe, it might be better, but no. And the best one, um, the Turkish people are lovely. I love Turkey. They're really, um, I, any Muslim country, they come along and we don't necessarily get it here. But the, when the country is predominantly that religion, it's just awesome. They come along and the whole thing is to be kind and they give you food and they look after you and it's just incredible. Yeah. Can we go back to the gun thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened? Um, I was in a bar. This is a trend. Um, yeah, and there was this bloke. They, they don't really have much English in Serbia. There's history and war and all sorts of stuff. But um, yeah, he came up to me and he had a few drinks and he decided that he wanted my Euros. Um, and so, yeah, it turns out afterwards it was all banter. It was just a cracking joke. Um, so the previous night I had a knife and so the gun used trumps the knife and the knife was a real thing um, he got beaten up by some other bloke cracking and then this night I was in a bar like all these old men around the bar chatting and stuff and this young guy sort of wobbling around he comes in with his gun and he's like I want your money oh I don't have any oh, I'll tell him bugger off um, and he came back to me and eventually after about 10 minutes of oh god what do I do because I didn't actually have that much on me I was going to give it to him but um, yeah, the old men start cracking up and they shout at him and they all start laughing. And so then we had a jolly old night and they were buying drinks and everyone's laughing. And so yeah, it's just a, a big old joke. Yeah, this is classic banter. Serbia. Serbia. It's where to head to. Noted. <laughs> what was the question? Uh, <laughs> best and worst memory. Uh, best. You go next. Aside from finishing, um, I'd say one of them was end of the first week. My dad flew out to Nice, so as I was going through the south of France, just to kind of swap over any bits of kit I decided after the first week I didn't need. Um, that was pretty good. So the first week was horrendous through like snow and knee problems and loads of other just being miserable. 
So the sun came out in the south of France. Um, so that was a good couple of days. Um, and then in Thailand, uh, my, my whole family flew out, so my parents and my sister, for my sister's 18th birthday. So I spent five days with them um, on a beach, which was, that was really nice. That wasn't cycling related, but, you know, it was good. Um, worst memory? Nothing like that. Dogs in Albania? Uh, yeah, I mean, getting chased by dogs is never fun, but yeah. there's, I think that kind of goes with the tertiary of cycling around the world. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> compared to having a gun pulled on me or a knife and yeah, all the, the others. It was just banter, rubbish. so it's fine. Okay. It's <laughs> yep. Guns are fun. I, I have nothing to chop The Americans think. <laughs> you do. I think, so. I don't know, that's it from me. It, it was all fun. Not okay. at all. Good. <laughs> Um, I think um, I'm going to start with my worst um, my worst was actually being held at knife point which was unfortunately not a joke yeah it was it was in it was in Spain when I I was kind of um, cycling late in the evening and at this point like I was on track to get the so okay Initially, I was on the record to get the uh, fastest woman to be... Wait, I was on the record to be the fastest woman to cycle around the world. So I was trying to get that record. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. And suddenly in Iceland, a few really terrible things with weather happened, which meant that I had to start from Europe, uh, like in Lisbon. And um, in, in Spain, it was like day two in Europe, I suppose, mainland Europe. And it was late evening, and I had already done, like, over 200 kilometers. So I was really, like, ready to go for it. And I, I was all hyped up. And um, a couple of guys on motorcycle, they decided to push me from my bike. And I, I saw them. I heard them and everything. And I couldn't do anything. Like, I just, I kind of told them to fuck off, but that, that wasn't going to help, was it? They kind of pushed me off my bike and I fell off. And before I could get up, I, what I knew was there was like this really sharp knife right on my neck. And I could, I could see it. Like, this guy was screaming something. There was other guy who had my bike. I, I didn't even know what happened in between the minutes when I was on the ground till I was up and the other guy was taking stuff off my bike which involved I don't know cards money and shit like that and I was still being held at knife point and I could see I was like oh my god like this thing could kill me and I had to take the fear out of my head so I was just like ah let's observe how this guy looks and I was kind of like let's see what the number plate of the motorbike is for example and I was just kind of doing those sort of things and um, before I knew they had taken what they wanted and they pushed me off the I was climbing something, so off the whatever at the side of the road. Might, might as well be a cliff edge or something. They pushed me down it, and my helmet strap was off because I stupidly thought that my helmet could defend me against the people. And, um, well, I went headfirst down it, um, and I, I don't remember anything after that for a while. I might as well have been unconscious or something, but they had thrown the bike on me, and I, I could see that, like, there was, there was something on me which had blood on it. And I was like, oh, God. I, I kind of freaked out. I um, got back up, 
looked around. I didn't know where I was, what I was doing, or even what my phone password was. And yeah, I, I walked up to the gas station. I just lifted the bag because I didn't know if it was okay or not. And like the guy didn't understand English. He only spoke Spanish. So it was a whole lot of confusion. But in the end, like around 48 hours later, I was back on the bike, very injured and not doing great. And probably I had, not probably, I definitely lost the record that I was going for. But yeah, like that was that was kind of my worst memory. And... Um, speaking of the be- <laughs> speaking of the best memory, I would say um, I think I think it was I, I wasn't seeing many people around in the middle of Canada, but when I did, it was this this old lady who was in a car and in the middle of nowhere, she just stopped next to me and gave me like three kilograms of grapes. She was following me on Instagram and she knew how much I love grapes. So she gave me like three kilograms of them. And I hugged her like thrice. I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. Oh my God, you're amazing. I was so excited because, yeah, grapes. (laughs) It was a great memory. I think I would have had the opposite reaction if someone had tried to add three kilos to my bike. But (laughs) fair enough. Um, That was food. Yeah, you could eat it. Can't say no to food, you know. Uh, All right, next question? Yeah, go for it. I'm a bit stunned <laughs> by the whole knife thing, but... It's all right. On. I'm here and I'm alive. <laughs> Good. What were you the most scared of before leaving, and how did the fear evolve over time? Well, you can carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say to this? What was your fear? Uh, I wasn't that scared going off. I didn't really think about anything. Um, so <laughs> keep it short um, I yeah, didn't think about anything too much so there wasn't much to be scared of I'd say whilst I was riding it was things I got really nervous about were kind of changing countries where things are going to disrupt your routine um, you tend to d- depend on the same kind of foods from the same kind of shops and you know where they're going to be so it was anything that disrupted that that made me feel apprehensive um, in terms of people I never had anything stolen. I never got threatened. I came back absolutely loving humanity. Um, I had no issues at all. And, I, I yeah, I don't know what happened to you guys. It sucks, but I, I had a good run of that, so I, I wasn't in too much trouble ever. Okay, that's cool. What about you? Um, so there's a fear going. I, I think I had to leave with the sort of the view that people are good. Um, I think if you don't then immediately you can be going out the door and it's the same as if you walk out on the street here you're going oh god everyone's going to have me and you're buggered but um, no I left thinking it's all cool I've been fairly well around Europe before so I knew that it was a nice cruisy start Um, I never oh that one I'll tell yeah Um, I was thinking really yeah, uh, there's there's no fear which is probably quite silly really I think most people should you should fear you should well uh, be apprehensive of what's to come and look for faults in your plan maybe I think there's almost too much to process at that point when you're doing something as stupid as like yeah. riding around the world well you just set off and go for it <laughs> don't you because the thing is you can't plan for it all and that's absolute rubbish if someone says you can you can't plan where you're going to finish each night and all that stuff so you've got to just rock up and see what happens um, it's the same each day yeah you know roughly where you're going to go and rough, well, don't really know you're going to meet you just go for it 
Okay. It's really, like, I think what I was scared of before leaving um, was very different than either of you. I think, so, because I was very sure that I wanted to go for the record to be the fastest woman to cycle around the world, and I always knew that I would be the youngest woman, but I wanted to be, I really wanted to be the fastest woman to do it, and I had trained for it, and until... <laughs> until the halfway point I knew I was almost getting it so my fear was failing my fear was failing at the only thing that I had given attention to for past however many you know months years whatever and I was really um, yeah I, I don't know I was really scared that I was like what, what am I going to do if I don't do it in 100 days? Which I didn't, by the way. And oh, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do if I failed in getting the record that I cared for the most. And that was exactly also the mistake that I made, that I cared for the record. I should have cared more for the exploration, for the adventure, which I eventually did learn. But it was the record which kind of really broke me like when I got mugged in Spain and when I got concussed and stuff and when I knew that I was not on track to get the record and I could do whatever I wanted I could like you know be up for 24 hours a day cycling however much I wanted I could not do 320 kilometers that day uh, when I knew that it really broke me and that was kind of my worst fear realized and I don't know, like, uh, even when I was finished, I gave myself a lot of trouble uh, with the fact that I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get the record that I had worked so hard for. But I, I eventually learned how to cope with it. I eventually learned to uh, just accept the fact that, shit, like, I actually cycled around the world. Like, you know, it was actually 18,000 miles, 29,000 kilometers. And it's still kind of a big thing. So, yeah, I guess that's how my fear evolved, really. <laughs> kind of a big thing. <laughs> I should put that on the blurb. <laughs> but, yeah, that, I think that's, that's speaking of my worst fears. I, I used to be really... Okay, I still am really scared of failing, but I think if I was that scared of failing, I would have never started. So maybe I'm not scared enough. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I get that. I think it's the same with me. It's just I wasn't going for a speed record. I just wanted to finish. (laughs) It's a very different sort of uh, mental thing in that you've, you've got that. Whereas I don't know about you, but I set off with, I just wanted to get around. Uh, I have, I've got a whole year to do it, so balls to it. I'm just going to have a go. Um, and it takes pressure off. I was still doing the, the distance each day, you're doing like 200k, and yeah, you crack it. But it's a very different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's it. <laughs> anyway, um, I think we are done with the questions in the hat, so we are going to open the floor for questions. Unless anybody wants like a 10 minute break or something. Alex? <laughs> What would you suggest? Ten minute break? Okay, yeah? Yeah? Mark? Hello? Okay. Um, did any of you guys have names for your bikes? Yes. And if you did, what inspired the names? <laughs> uh, I didn't, which is... I can't, well, I kind of tried to come up with it and nothing felt right. So, it was just my baby. The problem with naming a bike is that you are you're riding a bike. So if you get a boy's name, <laughs> I'm straight. So, yeah. Get a girl's name, yeah. You're a bit tough done that way, either way. Um, I think it might end up being Colin. Um, that was very much, that was a spur-of-the-moment thing. I know a few Collins. I met a Colin the previous night. Uh, he tried to give me some... Yeah, no, he tried to sell me something. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was like very much the, the radio guy came along and said... Yeah, what's your bike's name? I was like, oh, Colin. Yeah, Kraken, lovely. Love that name. And so, yeah, then we had Colin and Colin Mark too. And, uh, yeah. All right, that's cool. My bike's name was Cappuccino. Oh. So I, I, was, I used to have way too much coffee than it's healthy to have. And every time, my choice of coffee used to be Cappuccino. And in a way, it was like, Cappuccino keeps me going. So I was like, oh, maybe that could be... Like, I could name my bike that and I could pretty much stop having coffee then so <laughs> did it work no <laughs> it didn't have to like i needed coffee when i was going for that stuff you know yeah so tom i know you've said no way and charlie i'm not sure about you and v i know you're planning to cycle to the moon <laughs> but all three of you if you were to do it again what one thing would you change and why you move to Pluto, don't you? Small planet. That's a tricky question. So if if I were to do a, a second time, having done it, what I did, I would do it faster. I would go for like a speed record, um, and I would yeah. But if I was to do it for the first time again, I honestly wouldn't change anything because I th- yeah I did it exactly how I wanted to. I had my target, and I'm. I've, I got the balance that I wanted between experience and riding hard and that was perfect for me um, 
so it would only be if I was going to do it for a second time that like I'd do something differently for a different experience, essentially. Um, I think I would change... I, I have actually... I have a diary in which I have literally over 50 notes of what I would change if I did it the next time. One of them is sorting out the visas before I have left. Like, there were some visas which as in Schengen visa, which I had already, like, it was already valid when I left, but it was not going to be valid by the time I came back. So I think I would sort out the visas or do something about it before I left, rather than during, because, I mean, I was going for a speed record, but I spent so many days, almost like over 25 days, working on my visas and trying to get those visas sorted and trying to get something out of it. And it was just a waste of time, I suppose. Need a British passport, really, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's pretty handy. Not a new passport doesn't help. <laughs> no, um, you've got to have a motor. I think that's, that's the key. Um, yeah, these are pretty big now. Yeah, pretty proud of them. But... Um, no, I think I'd quite happily go again, um, motorbike it, go further, see different things, because the, the bike is awesome, and it presents a real challenge, and it gives you something to aim for, but once you've done, so you do 100 miles, it's a really good target, um, but after that you're knackered, and you've got to keep going then, but you haven't got time to see anything, or meet people, unless you properly stop, and you're on a bike, you can go further, you can change your distances, that kind of thing, and you can see everything either side. Like, um, the world's a very big place and in this way of travelling you only see a very small strip of it you can see what the horizon's 20 miles either side roughly and that's all you can see whereas I think if you've got the access to go either side and explore more that'd be awesome um, you've got to choose what you're doing it for you're doing it for the speed are you doing it for the adventure uh, for the travel um, you've got to also sort of your budget will decide that a bit um, yeah I think there's a few different ways I think that touches on a good point is if you're going to do something similar again I wouldn't cycle around the world. I'd cycle in places that I wanted to cycle. You know, for a lot of the world, there's a whole lot of nothing. Like in the middle of America and a middle of Australia, which I've got no desire to go Prairies. back to. Prairies. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd choose my locations and wouldn't worry about circumnavigating anything. Uh, you've got to make it about the, about the journey and not about the destinations, which is obviously the whole cliche and all that rubbish. But on the bike, no, you come along. Yeah, you come along. And uh, if you're trying to get somewhere on the bike, you're not going to get there very fast. You know how far you can go each day, and that's it. So you've got to make it about enjoying the ride, which I think is often very hard. You've got rubbish weather or rubbish whatever. Um, and so you've got to choose how you're going to do it and very much be in the mindset for that. And it might change over time. But um, yeah, I think it's the way to go. Hope that answered the question. I think I learned a thing or two from you guys today. <laughs> what is your most embarrassing story from your trips? I think that's aimed at someone in particular, so I'll let Vidangi take that. <laughs> is someone eating here? I hope not, because this is not going to go down well. Um, <laughs> well, um... In Australia, I had a stomach bug, and I also, for the first half of it, there was also like a film crew, which was, yeah, coming, like recording everything and every, all, all that sort of things. Anyway, because I had a stomach bug, I couldn't keep any food down. By that, I meant that sometimes many things were out of my control, 
which meant that I, at a place called Putera, I actually, um, well, shat myself um, on the bike. And I had an interview scheduled. Like, I, I, we had decided that there was a board where we were going to stop and they were going to kind of, you know, interview me and then I was going to go off and whatever distance was planned. Yeah. And, well, I, I, I just didn't stop. I just kept going. And, and the guys in the car were looking at me. They were like, where, where have you gone? Like, what, what the hell? And then I remember Callum called me and he was like, oh, Callum is, by the way, the guy who was in the film crew. Um, he called me and he was like, why the hell didn't you stop? Sort of thing. And I was like, I, I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> and I was, I was really, I didn't know what to say or, you know, how anyone else was going to react. I just kept going. But when I had stopped, the film crew car was already there and they were like, I was like, step away. I was like literally screaming. I was like, step away. Like you can't be here. It's, I stink. <laughs> so I had 70 kilometers to go after that. So I had to wash all my kit and I don't know what I did after that. Let's not go there. So you used the same cycling shorts afterwards? No, I had a... S- I had a spare one, but I washed the one that I was using and hung it on my bike. Somewhere. Is it now framed? <laughs> uh, it's in a bin in a decathlon in France. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so this happened in Australia. This all. This and happened. And it made it around to France. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be noticed, but okay, yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that. One up, lad, then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything? Oh, I, was got, I think most states, to begin with at least, I stank. Um, you, you get much chance to wash your kits inside, rock up, and you're in a coffee shop or wherever you are. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that, that is me indeed. It isn't the room, it isn't anything else. Yeah. Uh, I think you eventually get over that. You're walking around in Lycra, and obviously lots of these countries, you're like, I've never seen Lycra before. Like, what, the, what the hell am I doing in India wearing Lycra and bright yellow and all that rubbish? Um, and so, yeah, you're quite exposed, I think, is a polite way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, you kind of get used to your own smell. And so when I got to India, I wasn't sure how normal it would be, or acceptable it would be wearing Lycra. So I kind of chucked on just a white cotton T-shirt over my top. Um, and I was quite proud of the fact, because I wore it for the first couple of days, and it, it was filthy after an hour, like, horrible. Um, but I wore it for a couple of days, I was like, huh. What if I like wore the same T-shirt for the whole of India? That would be pretty cool, right? So, so I kind of went in with that mindset, and I made it through a week and ten days, and it wasn't white anymore. Like after the first day, to be honest, it was brown. I, um, but it was when I stopped at like a, a shack to get some food, and one of the locals in rural India commented on how dirty I looked. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> maybe I should change. So I wore it for another three days, <laughs> but then, but then decided to call it a day. And I'll be honest, when I put on a clean shirt the next day, the next morning, it was the best feeling I've ever had in my life. It was so nice. I got used to just being horrible, but it is nice when you finally get a bit cleaner again. Um, but I, unlike Vadangi's shorts, I still have that T-shirt. Um, it carried on the trip with me and it's now hung in my wardrobe <laughs> just because why not <laughs> any other questions okay I think now we are going to just have a little 15 minute break if any of you want to cook up a question 
and then we can come back uh, and you can ask these guys some more questions. So can we just give them everybody, can we give them all a big round of applause? Thanks, guys. Don't forget, you can buy a book over here and the bar is open. Thank you. That first one's really important. <laughs> Questions? Anybody? Um, could you talk a bit about, like, this might be really boring, but, like, planning? Just, like, just do, do you improvise? How much do you improvise? My mum like, helped a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like, how much do you improvise what roads you're going to go on? And, like, do, do you know, do you avoid some things because, like, that you know are just going to be rubbish? Yeah, so my route was uh, planned quite thoroughly um, by my dad. So <laughs> I had a Garmin and he would plan it from back home and I'd upload it and ride it. Um, I mean, there was obviously a bit of back and forth, but... Um, in terms of the specific roads, when you're going across a country, there's generally like one. So, <laughs> and then you wake up and you can either go left or right. That was right and left. Um, so, there's not always a whole lot of options. Um, through like Europe, it's obviously a lot more densely populated than Australia. So, there's more choice um, and things like that. But in terms of the route, I had my dad doing it for me, which was a massive job. I'm not like. I'm saying it wasn't, but that was a huge help for me. Um, so he normally like plan like a thousand kilometer route, and I just jump on it at, like wherever I happen to be at that point. Um, in terms of other planning, um, I say the route is the biggest thing. Once you know the countries you're going to, you kind of work out roughly where you're going to be at what time, what weather you're going to be dealing with, um, and what visas you're going to need. Um, I got all of those sorted before I left, which I think. Was I'm glad I did it, judging by the sound of Vidangi's trip. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think you can plan as much as you want, but stuff's always going to go wrong. Um, there's always going to be things that are out of <laughs> your control. Um, so I think you just got to not stress about it when things do go tits up. But generally, get the route sorted, and that was that was the main thing for me. But there, there are people who literally leave with a week's notice and don't plan anything. So, you know, I, I don't know. You can do it however you want, I think. Um, I think in terms of planning, for me it was really strange because training was part of my planning. I was going for a speed record. So I, I, I had to kind of plan, like, not, not months, but kind of one year in advance-ish. And... It was the most exciting bit to plan out my route because I was sitting with maps and stuff, just writing out rough notes, and I was like, ooh, I want to really go there, but is it hilly sort of thing? Because I had to do a certain number of kilometers or miles per day, so uh, I had to have a look at that. But um, when, when the route was done, I also searched, like, because Mark Bowman, yeah, that was, that was the biggest bit. He was just done with his ride. So I was like, can I follow his route? Is it realistic for me to follow his route? Because um, he obviously didn't have many visa issues, which I did. But I had to kind of plan the route accordingly. And I had many last-minute issues in terms of the fact that um, 
America rejected my visa, so United States, yeah, um, <laughs> yay. <laughs> and then Canada rejected my visa, so I had to wait around and, you know, get all those visas sorted and then leave. Um, but that was kind of not, not, not a great experience, I suppose. Like, that was the worst bit of planning. It was just like, I had done all these things. Like, I had, I had got all the documentation together. Why did it not work out? But apart from that, I, I knew the risks. I knew what I was up against. And I knew it was um, inadvertently going to be a race at some point. So I kind of was pretty much prepared for all of that. But yeah, as we all know, it went wrong. <laughs> so as much as you plan, I think that was what I took from it. You can plan everything you want about a certain ride or a certain day or anything but it's not really going to go up to that um, for planning uh, there wasn't much um yeah so i came up with the idea of doing something anything in about may uh, i got my bike two weeks before i left uh got the the bag to go on the front of my bike uh a day yeah like 18 hours before i left where it's just cracking um i think you just have to be as chilly as you can about it really I knew I was going to go to Istanbul that was like the first sort of uh, that was the first point didn't know how I was going to get there just said Istanbul it's a straight line um, you go how you can and then yeah cracked on from there um, I think visas I stuffed up a couple of them so Azerbaijan I went from Tbilisi in Georgia that's the capital uh, did I think it's like 60 miles to the Azerbaijan border and they said where's your visa I'm, like, well, I'm just going to pay for it like I did on Turkey you know, it's paying the Turkish border um, they said no you can't do that so I had to go back with a headwind ah nasty old stuff didn't enjoy it at all but um, yeah I think most of it went fairly well I then had to skip over I did have the same thing like Iran wasn't great uh, at the time and I got I had a visa that got turned away because Trump was like it's like politics um, yeah, then got into India, and you just everything's online now. It's great having the English passport, and the British passport. You just apply for it online, and a few days time, it's there. Uh, I think that's the only planning you can do. Besides that, you just rock up where you're going to go to, point to a city, and go. So you can just wing it to answer your question. If you okay, want. hang on. What about the money? Obviously, it took some money to fly. Uh, okay. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Let's talk money. Uh, money. Uh, so, buddy. I got sponsors. I had about two grand in my bank. Like that was my personal money. That's life savings. Uh, chuck that in there. Um, I think I had pretty ten grand total for the trip, and that was including all my gear, the bike. Like the bike was uh, at least a four grand bike. I figure I'm going to go for a top spec carbon race bike, uh, super light, everything I can. Um, flights probably average. I think I tried to budget for about five hundred pounds a flight. Uh, most of them are much cheaper. And you get the odd one that absolutely smashes it. Pacific flights, do you? Um, <laughs> besides that, I think the, the biggest expense in was probably food. I don't know about you guys, but I was on at least six meals a day. And <laughs> India's, India's great because it's cheap. Yep. You pull over. Yeah, uh, it's good food. And I went to Australia, my first year Australia. I spent $70 on food alone, nothing else. Um, so yeah, that hit me. It, I think it's hard. I don't know. Do you have panniers? When you yeah, went? yeah. yeah I so did. I, I, I traveled with some other guys that had panniers, and they seemed to be able to go to supermarkets and they would buy food. I don't know if you did that. I did it. But, no. <laughs> uh, but like some people, they'd be able to have more storage. So they'd buy a few days' food, and it's much cheaper to go to a supermarket. Whereas I had the saddlebag and the front bag, and there's no spare space. So you just have to sort of eat out, get takeaway, 
um, be very bad. It's the kind of thing you would not do around here. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the kind of yeah, thing. I never cooked for myself. Um, <laughs> so I know a lot of people take a camping stove, but I, I wasn't game for that, so... I just couldn't really be bothered. <laughs> it, it was more the weight thing and having to ride with it. Someone told me I should do it, and I said, well, no. <laughs> I took one, but I didn't use it, really. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, it was um, like a multi-fuel thing. Uh, I figured, okay, I've got to fill this up with petrol. And then you realize, oh, you need water to scoop most things. I've only got two bottles on the bike anyway. I've drunk them all by the end of the day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the stove didn't get used. I carried it to, uh, to Australia. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that you can do this kind of thing on a shoestring budget. Um, people do do it. Maybe not as fast as Vidangi, or I don't know what your financial situation was, but you can do it. It can be done. People can always stop, and people do go like halfway around the world, stop work, and carry on. Um, you can get by on a few dollars a day if you eat in the right places and cook couscous every night for yourself. Um, and camp, which again I didn't really do. Um, I think Australia is really good for that. But it is it is possible, and that's what I mean. But like everyone, everyone's trip's going to be different, and uh, like that's the question I get asked the most by people wanting to do something similar is how much did it cost? And I'm always hesitant to say a figure because it's it's really what you decide to do and how you want what you make of your trip. It's going to depend so much on that, and it will vary hugely. So it's it's very difficult to say an exact figure. I would say mm. flights are always going to be expensive yeah. J- just I guess just ride more <laughs> well, theoretically sorry um, to get around the world you need say two flights really uh, the Atlantic and the Pacific between there there's no reason you should be able to fly how do you go to the southern hemisphere you cycle yeah oh uh, you can probably I don't know maybe Singapore, Singapore to exactly, Australia yeah, yeah. Be- everything else you can get a boat I'm pretty sure um, <laughs> and besides that those are the major ones everything else is cheap and so really it's a land bridge all the way between here and Singapore you get far side top right Russia um, there's the Aleutians I think around there uh, and they're not great you don't want to go on them but uh, yeah there's ways to get around it and to go very cheap for sure you see guys doing it and they're spending less than a pound a day um I think even though I wasn't sleeping in most of the motels and things, I think I... Okay, my financial situation wasn't that bad. I had raised a lot of money from several sponsors. And I think if it was just me cycling unsupported, it would have cost up to 10 grand. But because there was a film crew involved with a production company who could not raise enough money until the given deadline, I had to raise money for them, which meant that I had to get in touch with oil and gas companies, whatever came in my way. However, like I had to raise up to like 50 grand or something. And I, I did that. But the thing was, the money was in my Indian account and it was in the debit card. And I don't have a credit card, where, which meant that when I had to book the cars for the film crew, um, I, I, don't, I didn't have a manager at the time, which meant that I had to do the whole thing for the film crew as well as me. So when I had to book the flights and stuff, uh, or not flights actually, when I had to book the cars, rental cars for the film crew, I could not use my debit card because you have to use credit cards for that. And that was a big issue. I literally remember calling up people, speaking to lit- like absolutely random people and saying, look, 
you transfer us two grand right now and I will transfer you the money right back. Like, you know, two grand is not an easy amount. And some of the people around the world, in Canada, in Australia, or even in, 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 in Europe, in Madrid, I made some friends literally last minute who helped us with like two and a half grand or something. And I paid them back, of course, like uh, right then, right there. But like people trusted us with that because it was going to be something at the end, apparently. But <laughs> yeah, that was my financial situation. I had the money, but I couldn't always use the money as it was. And there were some places I clearly remember um, in, in Canada, in the eastern Canada, I was trying to book some hotels and the card had... I don't know what was wrong with the card. I would tap it. It just wouldn't work. And it was really frustrating because I had cycled quite a few miles in proper headwind and then the card wouldn't work and I, I don't know, I just wanted to smash things around. <laughs> it, was, it was really a frustrating situation but in the end there was some way around it which happened but um, I had got a few sponsors. I think 15 or so. Yeah, um, some were just like, some just sponsored a bike. My university actually paid for my bike to be built, which was really cool. Then um, there was Alpkit, who was like one of my major sponsors. They, um, I was really scared to go up and talk to Alpkit when we were at London Bike Show. And I think a couple of my friends were with me and they were like, if you don't go, we will go and talk to them sort of thing. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'll, I will do it. So when they went away, I went and spoke to them, got the email ID, send the email and the next thing I knew I had a sponsor for all my equipment and that was like a big deal for me I never had a sponsor that easy and everything else kind of came right when I had already done the efforts for that but um, per 200 rejections I would say I had three sponsorship offers so at that rate I got up to like 15 sponsors and made this happen I suppose (laughs) I can't remember what the original question was, but is there another one? I don't remember either. Hey, well done to you three. Um, you spent a lot of time alone. I'm interested in what you learned about yourselves, cliche as it may sound, along the way. And if you hit a wall, like a marathoner hits a wall, yeah. what was that experience like? Ooh. Yeah. You Unless you... You go okay. <laughs> um, I think I hit a wall in after Pyrenees at some point. I was in the middle of rolling hills of France and I was heavily concussed. I had all the symptoms and I couldn't go downhills without having head rush or whatever it's called. And it was horrible. And I knew I couldn't go any farther like that. And there was a point where... A car came really fast, honked at me, and just I just stopped. And I was like, shit, I can't do this. And I just sat there, and I was crying. And I, I remember Callum was there, who was in the film crew, and none of us knew how to react to it because I was just, I kept crying and crying and crying, and I was like, I can't do this. This is not possible. Like, I can't put another pedal on. Like, I just can't. And I don't know, I think I just had some grapes and got back on the bike. (laughs) 
I don't know. Like, there was just something which told me that, you know what? The record is gone. It's gone. It's far gone. You're not going to get it. But you still have to go on. There's something waiting for you at some point. And uh, I, I got a phone call from a friend in Finland who said he was waiting for me to come there. And he was really like eager to meet me, blah, blah, blah. He was only going to be there for a certain amount of days, which meant that I had to push on. Like if I had to... If I had to have someone waiting for me, if I had to have someone, you know, to hug at the end of the day or whatever, then I had to push on. And that factor, that, that was like the motivating factor for me. When I was at the lowest that I have ever faced, that was like the motivating factor. I knew I had to go and I knew I had to give it everything I had. So, yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was my wall and how I got through it. How about you? Oh, um, I think you mean like a bonk. Yeah? As in, when you hit the wall, you run out of energy. Yeah. Um, I think I bonks pretty every other day. Um, I, I'm, I eat a lot of food when I'm not riding, so when I'm riding, I eat even more food. Um, I, this is a very different answer, I suppose. But, uh, Mine yeah. was more mental, yours was more physical, yeah. Yeah, no, I just get hungry. Um, and so I come along, and you sort of learn very quickly that actually you are out of energy, your muscles are depleted, there's obviously all the, the scientific side of things. But yeah, get to the end of the day, you have some food, you have some water. Water's always a massive one. I think you never quite realise when you're dehydrated uh, how big an influence water can have. And you have a quick gulp, and oh my god, you feel like, you feel like you're, on, uh, you're going. Yeah, yeah. you're on fire. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cracking. I think there's very much then the whole trip is a mental side of things. Um, there's certainly a, a physical side. I was talking to a gentleman, lost you maybe, um, about just the the physical side of things. There isn't really much of it. You're only putting out one or two hundred watts for the entire day, which most people can do. It's not a, a massive thing. It then becomes the endurance side. It's the mental side of um, the same balls to this and keeping on going. I, I don't know about you guys. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. It's all it's all in your head. Um, I think you, you mentioned what did I learn about myself. I think you get very good at dealing with boredom. Um, and you learn, or at least I did, I learned to make myself laugh. Um, like, I'm not having conversations with myself, but just, you know, sometimes you just think funny things. Um, and that kind of, you, you got to find any way you can to get through it. And I, I didn't listen to music either while I was riding. Um, yeah, I was very surprised when I read your book and you have the bit where you say that you didn't listen to music. And I was like, oh, fuck that, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I had no headphones for. Why would all you do that to yourself? Uh, principle. Going back to the thing, it's, it's all about the mental challenge. That's part of the reason I did it. Um, and for me, I didn't want to, I don't know, just make it me sound like an idiot, but I didn't want to make it any little bit easier on, on the mental side of it. I would do anything I could to make it physically easier, you know, avoid the hills. But in terms of my mental side, I was there to push myself. Um, so I didn't ride with headphones. So you do, I don't know if you learn a lot about yourself, but I became a lot more confident or comfortable in myself, if that makes sense, without getting too pretentious. Um, and then in terms of hitting a wall, I... I, I like the mental one like Vidangi mentioned I hit that really early on and I think it was day two actually getting off the ferry in France it was snowing and I kind of thought yeah sod this put the bike against the fence looked round and I was kind of like 
oh shit, I haven't really got any other option, have I? So <laughs> I got back on and carried riding. And it was that kind of thing. Just don't give yourself a choice. You, there's no other option and you do anything you can to get through it, I think. You, you also learn to zone out. Like I say, yeah. you know, I got good at dealing with boredom. A lot of the time, I, I can't remember half of it. Like, I, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Simple as that, really. That was me in Russia. Looking at all the snow around me, I, I didn't remember things after a while. I was just like, I think I just cycled for three hours in a go in the snow, and I don't remember a bit. So, yeah. Well, that's pretty funny. So I went pretty complete opposite. I had a UE speaker. I had my headphones. I had... Uh, I pretty much listened to all of Joe Rogan. Uh, what's it? No such thing as a fish. Absolutely legendary podcast. <laughs> Love that stuff. Um, they, they invited me to go to see them in Cardiff. Love that. Um, but I found that maybe I don't know, this can be contradictory. But um, I, I loved that side of things. I I would waste days just doing that, and so I'd wake up quite often in a miserable mood, and it's wet, it's pissing down outside. I I'm not waking up to ride; I'm waking up to go and listen to no such thing as a fish. It was it was great. Yeah, that's nah, some really good comedy on there. But um, it was I don't know, a different side of things. You listen. Well, I had two thousand songs on Spotify, and that was just on loop by the end of it. I I knew all those songs off by heart. Um, but I also feel like maybe I did. I was then more in the zone. There's certain days where you're flying or you've got a beautiful tailwind. That's always the favourite days because you can sit at 40k's an hour, bolt upright, barely put any effort in, and uh, yeah, you do 200k's in the morning. And the music is all part of that because you're not necessarily doing to a beat, you're not doing anything, it's just distraction. Um, yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. I had different playlists for morning, afternoons, and evenings and nights. So, yeah. I, I know all the songs of that now. Anyway, um, shall we oh, go? It definitely makes sense. I wouldn't recommend doing what I did. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the get a UE speaker. That thing got run over by a truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I put it in back up. It's like all black and... Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Absolutely great. Um, all I want to ask is tan lines. Um, I know that Thomas came back with some pretty crazy conversation starters for tan lines um, did you guys come back with any tan lines which were prominent um, <clears throat> I, I have a few shades of weird colours on my uh, thighs but um, I make sure to cover them when I go to uni or even to the beach these days so I, I don't think they are very prominent or I, at least I don't make them very obvious I suppose I, I don't know I think it's a cyclist thing to make, it, make the tan lines show or something but I wasn't aware of it so I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that I'm like shit my, like, it's, it's a different colour oh my god that's, that's wrong that's just not supposed to be like that it's surprising tan lines, isn't it? Um, I didn't know uh, that, okay. So I was a bit white around, that's lovely. Um, no, I wore gloves for quite a while, and so it would very much be sort of a, a pretty, pretty damn dark. I don't know how we could do colour spectrums, but that would be white as hell, and then back to dark. And so you walk in, shake someone's hand, they go, what have you been doing all day? Oh, sorry about that. Um, nah, that was scissor cut, everything here. It's absolutely perfect. You try and line them up each morning. Um, no, I met one bloke, and I was, I was really bad at it. Like, this leg's always smaller because this knee's absolutely buggered. And so my pants were always right up further on this one. So I've completely, 
like out of line tan lines. And there's one bloke, David, in New Zealand, and he come along, and he would honestly spend about ten minutes each morning lining them. And he taped his trousers to get them in line, and so he came back. And I've never seen the colour on a man like that. It was amazing. It was incredible. But no, it's commitment to tan lines. For sure. You seem very hardcore road cyclist. Oh, I, That's I, all I'm going to say. I loved my tan lines. And I, I never taped them, but I would spend the mornings making sure my shorts are in exactly the same place yeah, as the day before. Same place, um, but different place on each other. I think yeah. it goes back to the previous question as well. You've got very little to amuse yourself, so I've made it a point of dedicating myself to making myself look stupid. And I'd say, Charlie, you've got rid of yours quite quickly. Mine, mine were still crisp a year later. Um, I th- actually, there's a picture in my book. Another plug, um, but they were they were quite spectacular. I went on the beach in France at the end, got quite a few head turns, and actually on the ferry back to England, on my my ankle ones, I had shorts on that came down to here, but I had flip flops on, and there was just this random woman, didn't know her. As I walked past, she literally pointed and laughed out loud at my ankle tan lines, which made me very proud, but. I think my dad was with me. He, he wasn't so impressed. <laughs> but I love mine. I, I kind of turned up to uni uh, a couple months after I finished, um, still looking like crisp tan lines. And it was only there where I was like trying to make new friends that I realised I looked like a total fucking idiot. <laughs> well, that's one of the head ones. You get the chin strap, you get the glasses. Absolute dream. Just got to embrace it. Oh, yeah. You know, take pride in it. Take pride in being a cyclist. You get, they're going to be there to some extent, so you might as well go, go full, full bore and get them as good as you can. Yeah. Do you ever cycle in anything that wasn't the proper cycling gear? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in India and yeah. Southeast Asia. But uh, I had cycling shorts underneath, obviously, because you don't want to be dealing with that on your ass otherwise. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I wore like baggy shorts and t-shirt for the first bit of India just because I wasn't sure how acceptable Lycra was. Um, and I think in hindsight it would have been fine. But that's, yeah, I felt more comfortable in that and I carried that through until Thailand. But hmm. um, I think I looked like I was wearing a space suit or something in Russia. Because I was wearing every single piece of clothing that I had in my bag. And my bags were so light. They only had the sleeping gear in them. Like, I was wearing everything I could. I was even... I had, I had padded the... Uh, what's it called? Emergency blanket near my chest. Just so I can keep my uh, core warm. So, I think... Um, yeah, that. And... I don't know. It, it was in some point... At some point... In, the second half of Australia when I was only wearing my cycling shorts and like a sports bra or something and then I got like a weird sunburn on my back it was it was actually like the skin was peeling off it was really bad but yeah I think that was the only time I was not in my cycling gear gear I can relate to the sunburn I didn't wear sun cream I, I yeah no, um so I bought some. No, me neither. Was it, That's suicidal. Is it, is it P, P20? That like, really expensive. Like, you buy from Boots. And you're like, oh, yeah, this can protect me. And you realise, you put it on one day. And because you're just biking, you're still sweating and stuff. Oh, I'm like, yeah, that. So I put it in the bottom of the bag. And um, I didn't get it out till New Zealand. Yeah. Um, my, my nose top became leather. And I discovered in New Zealand, yeah, some cream's worth it. But um, no, nah, so that's the way to do it, for sure. 
No, and then, um, oh, no, Thailand. I, I left my shoes in India, so I had to cycle in flip-flops and flat pedals for about two weeks. And it gets really wet there, and if you try and walk in, like, soggy flip-flops, you're done. You're slipping all over the place. So now I was biking like that, I was absolutely done. It's cracking. I feel like I would have bought some shoes. Well, no, so I got them, I, I'd splashed out before I began. They were, like, cross-country, mountain bike ones, carbon fiber soles, SPDs. Oh, they were bling. Black, yeah. And, um... Now I thought, my mate is going to send them to my other mate in Kuala Lumpur. Oh, okay, we can do this. We can keep going down. We'll make it. And so um, I stayed in Bangkok for a few days thinking, oh, no, well, they'll get here. And eventually they didn't come. Set off. On the way out of Bangkok, bought some flat pedals. And I had my like, skinny little leather flip-flops, which had been worn down. They were through the ball of my foot. They were completely bare. Oh, I thought, yeah, this will be absolutely fine. And so first day it poured down. I thought, oh, it's not going to be fine at all. And then I didn't replace them because I couldn't find a bike shop. But, like, any shoes that aren't flip-flops. <laughs> I, I bought some, some size 7 trainers, because that was the biggest size I could find in the um, second-hand shoe store. Plug. Um, I'm, I'm a size 11, so they were joyous. And, uh, yeah, I got them for two days, and then quickly got rid of them once I got my shoes back. I will say, I'm definitely not a size 11. Uh, Southeast Asia is the only place I've ever felt tall in my life. It was brilliant. <laughs> oh, I think the only time I've gone without proper cycling gear was when I had broken my toe and I was like cycling in like four pairs of socks and on, on, on one foot I had my proper cycling shoe on, on other foot I had like four pairs of socks on and my I could still see like the bulge in my toe where I'd had, it was broken and it was, it's pretty shit but yeah. Was this on this trip? Yeah, yeah, it was on this trip. It was in so the middle of So you broke a bone as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all right. It it wasn't the worst injury I've ever had, so it's all right. Anyway, moving on to the questions, I suppose. Yeah. What's the worst injury you've ever had? Oh. Uh, <laughs> um. It's a split between head injury and broken ribs. Which one would you like to hear more about? <laughs> oh, that's not interesting. <laughs> um, I broke my ribs when I was back from a ride. So I wasn't on the ride. I was back from a ride. I was still in my Lukio cycling shoes. And I was going down with a coffee in my hand and helmet in other hand. And I don't know. You know, it's really hard to walk in Luke or cycling shoes. So after a couple of steps down my old house, I just... Something happened. I don't remember what happened, but I fell down. And I, I knew for a fact that I had broken something because I could feel it moving. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of bad that way. I, I cycled, I, I rode my bike to the hospital, I got the x-ray and everything sorted, and I knew that in, in like next three or four days I had to leave to ride my bike to Kendall for Kendall Mountain Festival. So I think it was November 2017 or something, and yeah, I, I, I still had to do that and I still had the broken ribs so it was really bad I, it wasn't a cycling injury but it was still injury in cycling equipment on me so I think it counts Are there any more questions? <laughs> so um, what was the nicest like, thing that you. anyone had done for you for doing the trip? 
So, the nicest thing. What was the nicest thing anyone had done for you during the trip? Um, I mean, uh, in Australia, had a. Um, I'd been on a radio show a couple of days, or that more. I think I'd done the interview a couple of days earlier, and it had aired. And I was riding along, getting into evening. And a woman kind of just pulled over ahead of me and said, oh, I think I heard you on the radio. Would you like to come stay at my house? Um, and I, which was obviously very nice. I'd already booked somewhere, but I went round to hers for dinner with her family. It turned out it was her birthday. And she just invited me along to this... Um, <laughs> Do you know it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, to her birthday dinner, having only heard about me on the radio, which was really nice. Um, I think... The one that cheered me up the most, though, was in Burma on, like, the first day. I'd literally just set off, and I was feeling... I was shitting myself, to be honest. I didn't really know what to expect. And this random British guy, again, pulled over in his car, gave me some biscuits, and was just like, I've got to go to work, but have a good one. <laughs> just ran off. So that was good. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you want to go next? Kindest. Um... So, I got nicked, and then uh, the police lady that was, like, the major investigator the thing, um, she came, she said, yeah, come stay at my house. So I was at hers for eight days, and she... <laughs> eight days? Well, the bike got nicked. <laughs> I don't have a bike. <laughs> um, yeah, and so she looked after me and fed me, and they made me part of their family, and it was absolutely awesome. There's, like, every single place I've visited, there's someone who is awesomely kind, and they invite you in, and they do it, and it's really hard to answer yeah. that kind of question. But, um... Nah, she was awesome. Yeah, it's one of them. Um, for me, I think it was in Russia. And because it was winter, I was one of the... Okay, I was the only cyclist on the road, I would say. And it was properly snowing, and I was just going for it. And at some point, I was like, okay, now the rush hour is going to hit, and I need to, you know, find a lay-by, go and kind of lie down a bit, blah, blah, blah. So... I found a lay-by, uh, a truck lay-by, and uh, there was like a ditch-like thing at the side, so I just slipped there. And my my bivy bag is really bright. It's like bright blue. So I had pulled it over, and I just had a little bit of my emergency blanket on the top in case anybody wants to hit me or something, you know? Like, they, they shouldn't hit me, basically. Anyway, there was this car. Because the roads were icy and whatnot, the, this car just comes, drives onto the lay-by like circles thrice uh, because of the ice and stops like a few inches away from me. I, and, and I was like, shit, that almost killed me, but I should sleep because I have to s- ride a lot of miles after this. Um, so this guy just comes up and, and he starts talking Russian to me and I'm like, oh, I don't understand this and I don't have any connection on my phone so I can't even understand anyway. So I just pretended that I understood what he was saying. So he pulls his phone out and he's like, do you want to use my car's heater and sleep for like a couple of hours? And his car was reeking of vodka and I was like, oh God, do I want to do this? But I... I didn't think... I was like, you know, nothing seems wrong with this. I could... I might as well just jump in this car and sleep. So that's what I did. I just slept in this car with like 30 degrees on on the heater. And for like a couple of hours, it was good sleep. Then I got back on the bike. But that was probably the nicest thing anybody has done for me. Like, it was minus 15 or something at the time. So... 
you know, 30 degrees heat when you're freezing at minus 15 was something really nice for me, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh God. Would you ever ride together? <laughs> oh, I, oh, I think uh, we've discussed this briefly, maybe. As in round the world or just generally? Oh, oh yeah. Wait, what? You discussed yeah, sure. this? Nobody asked me. No, no I, I don't know if I was. Uh, it's a royal we. Um, in terms of. Uh, entirely, I'd cycle with these guys. Yeah, I'd love to go out for a cafe ride. But um, I think it changes the whole dynamic of a long-range trip if you have another person. Um, you then go from being self-sufficient and make your own decisions and do all that stuff to relying on other people. You have to double the pee breaks and double the food breaks and double everything. Um, it's just general everyday logistics that change. Yeah, I summed up my answer pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um. She's having think, doubts. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I think I would. I would ride with you guys. Like, yeah. considering that you guys have, like, you know, done the same thing as I have and kind of had the similar experiences, kind of. So I would, I would say that it would be great to ride with you because... I've ridden with much worse people than both of these two here. <laughs> I don't know why this is such a tricky question to answer. <laughs> okay, all I'm saying is, yeah, it would be great, but I think you'll have to wait for me a lot. Oh, that's fine. That, um, <laughs> I, I don't, do you guys ride with other people along the way? No. No. Okay, so I, like, uh, only once or twice. But, so yeah. along the way, I met people in Turkey and New Zealand and Australia, and you were to spend a couple of days with them purely because, well, why the hell not? It's not going to hurt you, is it? Um, but you very quickly learn that if they're faster than you, you're like, oh, bollocks, you've got to give up. I don't want to stop them. They're ahead of you. You're drafting all sorts. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be drafting. It's sort of ruining the whole point of this. Um, and so it depends on what you're doing. Are you going for a record? Are you just going for a ride? Are you going out with the lads? Um, yeah, why not? Yeah. Did that's... you never do any drafting? <laughs> oh, I, I never drafted. Um, what actually, about tuk-tuk? I'm the king of never drafting. <laughs> <laughs> the French farmers are amazing. I managed to get through there at, um, at harvest. Yeah, the massive combine harvesters, all the grain. It's actually behind them. You don't make 50 miles an hour. We're about this far away from, from a tractor. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's cracking. Um, yeah. I don't think I was allowed to draft. I was going for a speed record. That's yeah, like no, illegal. Oh, Guinness said balls to me, so yeah, I enjoyed my trip. It is, I think it's a very different way of doing it. Um, I think now the only Guinness I believe in is the beer. Fair enough. We can end on that note. <laughs> Unless there are any other questions. Do we no, have I any? think, should we give them all a massive round of applause, please, everybody? Thank you so much. Thank you. The bar is still open. Books are available for sale. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, actually, very quickly. Sorry. Go on, then. Go on, then. Um, I'm, I need to get home, and my phone's out of charge. <laughs> Um, so I'm lost in London I live in Bristol I'm not going to Bristol but I've got some mates in Chelsea I think is there anyone heading that way? <laughs> yeah or do you have a yeah are you? can I borrow you? thank you Wait. thanks everybody and that's how to get around the world
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 